0: Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman, and welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Our heart is to do all that we can to to incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit and power, reviving His church here in West Michigan, in our state and in our nation, but then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But you know, first, I really sense that it's critical that we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. So today we're welcoming a good friend, Pastor Rod Van Salcema, uh, who is pastor of Crossroads Bible Church here in Grand Rapids. And I've known Rod for a number of years. We work together. He has such a heart for God and for righteousness and for communicating with courage uh, the truth of the gospel, but also doing it in love. So I think you're gonna really enjoy hearing Rod with us today. Well, what a privilege, what a pleasure for me to introduce a fellow that's been a friend of mine for many, many years, uh, Pastor Rod Van Salkama. And uh, Rod, you're a pastor, been a pastor for what, is it 16 years, is that possible? Randy, I think we're getting closer to 20. Are you kidding Mm -hmm. me? At Crossroads Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh boy time flies doesn't it can't believe it a <laughs> little about rod uh, you went to wheaton college both you and your wife libby mm-hmm. and then you went on from there uh to seminary there in the chicago area what what seminary was it rod a trinity okay and uh again you've been at a number of different churches but uh crossroads by far the longest and uh that church has been growing and, and thriving, and I had the privilege actually being on staff for a few years with you there, and that was some of the, my favorite parts of my life, to be very honest. Same. With. Ah, good time. We miss you, Randy. Ah, well, I appreciate that. You're very kind. But God had us move on to other things, yeah. but uh, I think we had a good time together, and we really enjoyed it. Oh, it was a huge, important season yeah. in the life of our church. Well, there's a lot of things I love about you, Rod. We are, I, when I mention you, I say he's one of my best friends, and I, I really believe that. Since the first time we met, we just resonated. Yep. And uh, again, we're both in process. We make many mistakes, but we're pursuing the same goal, and that is to give glory to God with our lives and and touch lives as He would lead us in His power. And I've seen you do that. Uh, you lead troops or trips, excuse me, to uh, Israel. And uh, how many times have you done that? Do you have any
1: idea? I don't keep track, but probably <laughs> going on maybe 14, 15 wow. times.
0: What, what, what attracts you to, to head to Israel?
1: I love the story. I love to immerse people into the story. Mm. I like to be with a few people. I like to just do a deep dive. And the land, the story, the way it works together, the way we do our trips, I think a lot of life change happens People's trajectories are changed. People really capture the heart of God. Mm. And I think they want to come back and um, and just live live a life on mission mm. for him.
0: Oh, that's so good. Well, you you touched many lives. You've touched mine deeply. Uh, we didn't quite make it to Israel, but we did get to Turkey together yep. uh, many years ago. That's quite some... Great memories from that I just got trip. back from Turkey. Did you yeah. really? Wow. Did you see the seven churches
1: yeah, we did Revelation? We just, Libby and I led a trip there, and it's our second time leading that trip. It was a phenomenal experience. Wow. wow. I'm so proud of you. And every time I see the Aegean for the first time, I re- I'm reminded of you, Randy. <laughs> Why is that? As you know. <laughs> Remember that night swim? And you, um, I don't know. Oh, yeah. That, I got bumped. You rode a wave, and... Uh, I think you had a big scar on your head the rest of the trip. I did. Oh, we had some fun.
0: We could tell some more stories. But let's get to the purpose for this podcast uh, so we don't bore our listeners totally here with with just reminiscing on what we've done in the past. But, um, Rod, we live in pretty serious times in our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, our nation, uh, we've just – the thing in Afghanistan just recently happened, and it's just – you just shake your head and say, what in the world is going on? And, uh, you know, God is ultimately sovereign. we both on that page. We know that he's in charge. What's he doing? What's he saying? Specifically, what is he saying to the church in America today? As best you discern it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think he's saying a lot of things. I, I wonder if the church right now is, is listening to God if we're truly in tune with what he's trying to say. Hmm. Um, But I think what he's trying to say is what he's always said to the church. It goes all the way back to the text for me, Um, particularly the words of Jesus. And I mean, just speaking of Turkey, just getting back from that trip and just being immersed Hmm. in what our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago uh, how the church was born in probably a world much more crazier than ours. I mean, they took the gospel right into the teeth of the Roman Empire, and I think you could argue that within two, 300 years, they transformed a lot of their world hmm. um, and conformed it to Christ. And that storyline, to me, is amazing, and... Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a lot of pastors these days, and we, we are asking the question that you just asked. I sense a lot of pastors right now are, are feeling a need, like we need to come up with something new, something clever, mm. and I'm feeling a strong push. I feel God saying, no, you need to just go back. You need to go back to the text. You need to go back to my words. You need to go back to the life that I showed you when I walked this earth. The things I taught and Jesus said, I mean, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he gives us a ton of instruction hmm. in terms of what we are to be about. So what is
0: it that the American church is not doing that the first and second century churches did do? Well, what, where are hmm. we lacking? What are we not listening to, to the words of Christ? What words of Christ are we not listening to?
1: one of the first things that just comes to my mind is they just had a whole different mindset than we as Christians have today. I I think our mindset is you know what can god do for me? What can god mm, do for my life? Yeah. You know how can god make me healthy? How can god make me wealthy? Mm. Um, their mindset was not that. They knew that to follow Christ was going to come at great cost. Mm they were going to give up maybe even their place in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. um, their social life, even friends and family. Things might be taken from them, pressures were put on them. Mm. I mean, every New Testament book deals with suffering and persecution. In fact, many of the letters are written to these first couple of generation of Christians to just encourage them to stay in the game. And I just think we need to get a different mindset that when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, of course, the life and the blessing that we're going to receive from that. Um, He said, I've come that you may have life to the abundance. And real life, true life, eternal life is, is found in him, joy. But at the same time, I sense that the church right now, coming out of a long period of prosperity here in America, at least much of the church, not all, all the church, but much of the church. And I think we're trying to hang on to that. Mm-hmm. And we're scared that we're gonna lose that. And I actually am excited about a lot of the things that are happening, the things that are being stirred up. Of course, saddened by what it means sometimes, but I think the church historically thrives in settings that we're entering right now.
0: That's good. You know, I I've got friends kind of on on at least two different sides of this issue. I mean on one hand, um they say, yes, we have problems and this is good, just bring the problems on because it's 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 in persecution, as you're pointing out, that that uh, we see, we're for, we come to a fork in the road. Either go toward self or say God I'm willing if need be to die to be persecuted but I'm all in with you. And that the first century church did not spend a lot of time trying to influence governmental change. I mean we had, they had Nero, they had these Roman huh. emperors, they had persecution like crazy. And they just went and preached the gospel. That was made disciples, you know, at the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth be given unto me. Go. Don't play defense. Go. Make disciples. So that's one side. So, But then I have other friends on the other side that say, wait a minute. We do live in America where we do have a vote. We do have an ability to influence public policy. Uh, for example, school boards. Let's just talk school boards where they are coming up with some crazy ideas, ideas. Uh, you know this—this this about racial issues and gender identity and and sexual orientation issues and and our kids are being influenced by this as they go to these classes. Should we get involved in public policy or should we only just do the spiritual side of things and and make disciples? What well, where where do you where do you land on mm-hmm. these sorts of issues, Rod?
1: Well, I'll start with the second side. Um, because I feel that just being a pastor, I see so many Christians right now who are immersed in politics, sure. both right and left. Mm. And I don't, you remember when we were pastoring together, yeah. like how non political I was. I don't even know if I was voting for a president at that time, to be honest. I can say that now. Sure. Um, I might have gotten fired back then if that was known, but. The kingdom of heaven involves all of life. Jesus came and announced the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is his rule, his reign. It's what breaks into chaos and brings about shalom. And one day, all that God has made will be redeemed and restored. Um, He's going to make all things new. Mm -hmm. Um, And so politics is a part of that. And he's made us as political creatures. And so I don't think that Christians ought to Um, leave politics I think we need to participate however I think we've become so distracted Mm -hmm. that we've gotten our eye off the target and the target is is God the gospel Mm -hmm. and the church that he instituted and what does it mean for us to to be the church today and I think we're so focused on things outside the church Mm -hmm. I mean you brought up the issue of racism right Um, Racism is is near and dear to the heart of God. It is is anti God. God made us all in His image. Right. Um, we we all have this problem in common called sin, and Jesus, the cross, is the place where, you know, He's remaking us and restoring that image. And the resources that we have within the church to deal uh, with. with the issues of race and justice and equality—it um, pains me when I see Christians kind of setting that aside, all the resources that we have in God and what God says about us and what God says about justice and race, and we're now going to go a political route um, or a social route mm, on this, yeah. or you know, and like that's one of the missed opportunities that we have. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, the culture has a tendency to say that, okay, if you're black, if you're white, if you're female, if you're male, if you're this, if you're that, you're in that category. They, 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 they diminish the value that you mentioned of us as individuals created in the image of God. God is for each of us, each one of us uniquely made. Yeah, skin color is one of the many issues of us, but it's not, it doesn't define us like our culture wants to define everyone into groups and then get these groups disliking, hating each other, and so on. You know, we think of the scripture in Galatians talking about, you know, making one, you know, Jews and Gentiles, even male and female. I know there's one, there's a oneness because we're created
1: in the image of God. And Randy, that was so radical in yes, the first century. I totally get it. That, Galatians 3, 28, yep. just yeah. when the church lived that out, mm. and the first shall be last, the last shall be first, the humble will be exalted, the exalted be humbled. I mean, they're turning the world of Rome yeah. upside down. Yeah, yeah. And and through that are bringing life. That's so good, that's so good. And then when you look at Revelation 5 mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you think about where this is all going. Exactly. From every culture every, and, yeah, you tongue know. Tongue and language. Gathered around Christ, worshiping the Lamb. I love it, I love it. I and love these are the resources that we as Christians have. We can't abandon them right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, back to the public policy thing. And you know my mm-hmm.
0: background yep. is in public policy to a great degree. I would speak on this issue at various places, and and one I'd say, okay, let's say that you're you're near an intersection where there's a lot of traffic accidents and people are injured and even killed, and you you take an initiative as a neighbor to go to the uh, city or the township or county wherever it's needed, and you you have them install you know a, a signal a, a, a light you know red green uh, light fixture there and. Uh, a traffic signal. And as a result, deaths and injuries are reduced. Is that a good thing for a Christian to do? And most people say, well, of course. Well, you just engaged in public policy. Mm -hmm. Well, so there's nothing evil about getting involved with your school board and getting involved here or there to lovingly communicate, you know, truth that is loving, not just to you, but to everyone, whether you're Christian or not a Christian. But I've often expressed that public policy is a is a lagging indicator of where the culture is at.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It really reflects what the culture believes. We have abortion, same-sex marriage, because essentially the culture has kind of leaned that direction. But underneath the culture beliefs is the health of the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How how salty have we been? How much light have we been? We as you say, I think we've been pursuing as American Christians, hey, I go to church. I'm nice, nice to my neighbors. Yeah, I got, you know, we live for me. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of William Wilberforce, who tried as a member of parliament for year after year to get a vote to end the slave trade.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He couldn't do it because the slave trade put a lot of food on the table. It, it, it was one of the top things in the economy of England at the time. But then the second great awakening happened and hearts changed. And by the way, Welberforce said in, in a book that I, I read by him, he said the problem with England is selfishness. Mm-hmm. Rich and poor living for me, 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 me. And that's what we see, don't we, in the we've seen in the church. I've seen it in me. I yeah. see it in me. Yep. Hey, I I'm entitled to, you know, nice, peaceful, whatever, whatever. Where does it say that in the Bible? And there's so many places in this world today that our brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering, being killed, per- persecuted, tortured mm-hmm. because of their faith. And this, you know, Jesus said it, you know, and, and John, if they persecute, if they hated me, get ready, boys and girls, they're going to hate you, too. So,
1: yeah, so, I mean, to go back to the first part of your question about yeah. public policy. Yeah. Read your New Testament. How much space is devoted towards the public policy of the Roman Empire? That's a good point, almost nothing. Okay, and I'll I'll even bring up something controversial here. Okay. This is probably a conservative estimate, but at the peak of the Roman Empire, historians tell us that one out of four in the empire were slaves. Hmm. What does our New Testament say about slavery? Now again, slavery was, any people group that they captured, Mm -hmm. they enslaved them. So it wasn't limited to one people group or one culture. It was all people groups, all cultures Hmm. um, were, were brought into slavery in the Roman Empire. And see, this The only reason I'm bringing this up is because Paul, especially when you get to the book of Philemon, Mm -hmm. which deals with someone who is head of a small church in in Colossa, and he has a slave who runs away to Paul. Right. And it's a letter that every Christian should read because it's actually hilarious how Paul deals with this. He writes a letter to Philemon Copies the whole church on it. (laughs) Puts it all out there and says, that man is a great man and he is not a slave. He is your brother and you're gonna treat him like family. Why? Because this is the church. That's good. And I I feel that as we get our eyes on, on everything outside the church, the church then feels this pressure to conform to everything around it we need to get back to reforming the church. Revival needs to happen in the church. Agreed. We need to deal with getting racism out of the church. Mm-hmm. We need to um, get back to being holy as God is holy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all part of our, our mission and our witness. From the beginning God picked this people and he set them apart and he put them in a part of the world where he'd bring the nations to them And he said, be holy as I am holy. And in that, in their distinctiveness, um, they were putting God on display. And that carries forward into the New Testament. You just picked up on it. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is massive. Jesus starts that whole thing out talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the crowd. He's talking to Christ followers. Mm -hmm. This is who you are those beatitudes yep. list all those characteristics of someone who belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes into, you're gonna be, be salt, you're gonna be light, you're gonna be a city set on a hill that people may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Think about salt. You put it in a wound, it stings, mm-hmm. but it heals. And I just feel the church today, we've lost our salt. No longer do we sting, and no longer are we bringing healing. That's true. Yeah. Oh, that's really powerful. It's really good, uh, Rod,
0: uh, just as to what our role should be. Is, is And again, in the early church, is it not true that When the church would meet, I mean, the Roman culture was very stratified, right? You Mm -hmm. couldn't even wear purple unless you were at a certain level, right? I mean, it was just like incredibly stratified. But in the church, there was a unity that just blew the minds of of the people outside the church,
1: as as, as I understand. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, just even the way that uh, Romans did their social life, everyone had a price tag. Mm -hmm. And everyone knew their price tag. And you sat in the theater according to your price tag. Uh, people like you and me, ah, you'd probably be more down to the front row, I'd be you know, in that nosebleed section. <laughs> um, where, where you sat at the table, at, at someone's feast, mm-hmm. d- depended on your price tag, and you wore it. I mean, so you, if, if you had purple, uh, that told the world that, that you were an elite, yeah. and you were treated accordingly. Uh, slaves were just used and exploited mm-hmm. and probably for all the good stuff and fun stuff we're not a part of that. Now imagine being a slave in the first century and someone, a Christian comes up to you and says, hey, how about if you come to our love feast? Because that's what Christians called uh, their gatherings. And you're like, hmm, I've never been invited. So you go and you walk in and all of a sudden someone who has their toga and their purple sash wrapped around them all of a sudden gets down, sits you down, and hmm. takes off your shoes and starts washing your feet. This is what the early church was. This is what what moved into the Roman Empire and hit Rome in its Achilles' heel. And that's that something? It, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jesus, prayed about it the day before he goes to the cross, what he pray, he prays in four verses, three times that we be one. And then he, he concludes it by saying may they, us, be perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me, says Jesus, and that you love them, the world, as much as you love him. That is an incredible promise. And, you know, earlier, a few chapters before, where he says, by this will I know you're my disciples by your love for each other. And so the world sees that. They say, how do you pull this off? I know. And that's, we need more, don't we need more unity in the
1: church today? We, we do. We need less talking. <laughs> and love is an action. Yeah, yeah. You know, love is laying your life down for someone. I love it. You know, righteousness in the Old Testament we understand the word righteous in the New Testament is moral purity, mm-hmm. but the word for righteousness in the Old Testament they have another word for moral purity. But righteousness really means to disadvantage yourself to bring advantage to another person. Really, and just wow. think about Jesus. I mean, he's the ultimate example of that. Yeah. I mean, who had all that advantage? Philippians it. two says, yeah. and he gave it all up to disadvantage himself to become the lowest. Huh. Um, and and that's that's the ethic, the ethos of the. The yeah. kingdom of heaven. All
0: right, I, got, I got a question for you. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to speak to every true Christ following pastor in America, one on one, what would you
1: want to tell that pastor, each one of those pastors? Have some guts, <laughs> have some courage get your nose in the bible not that there's a canon within the canon but but look at the red letters i mean uh look at the words of jesus and we just went through john's gospel last year and it really struck me how hated he was yeah okay and then um going to turkey and then seeing these places even where the Apostle Paul was and it seems like every place Paul goes, he's stirring up a riot. Yeah. And uh, Paul is persecuted severely and, and I just feel like pastors right now and Christians in general, this is a v- huge overgeneralization, but we so badly wanna be liked. Yeah. And we, and we do things to get people to like us and Christians do things to get the world to like us. And I think that we have to just lay that aside. Jesus was hated and he says to his disciples, you're gonna be hated as the world hated me. And and I think once we, we, we let go of this need to be liked, and replace it with pastors, let's be faithful. That's our job. Our job is to be faithful. Let's be faithful to the revelation that God has given us. Let's be faithful to communicate it to the best of our ability. Let's be faithful to raise up disciples and to build a church that loves God with everything it has and loves its neighbor as itself. And Jesus says, your neighbor even includes your worst enemy. That's right. And and let's have the courage to preach that. I mean, right now I'm at Maranatha and... I'm going through the seven churches of Revelation, and we think, okay, Revelation is this apocalypse that John gets, but Revelation two through three are the letters that Jesus writes to the Christians in those churches uh, in first, second generation of the church's existence. There's a lot there. There is. And for a pastor to read that and digest it, Um, in one sense he's he's telling the church in Ephesus, you're really good at hanging on to truth. You're about truth, but you forsake you forsook your first love. Your first love. To the church in Thyatira, he says, You're so loving and you serve everybody so well, but you tolerate all this false doctrine. And it's said about Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. And truth, that's yes. right. Yes. And so I just feel yeah. Yeah. for pastors, like, let's, let's not be all grace, no truth, and let's not be all truth and no grace. Um, but yeah. You
0: know, Rod, when uh, when I was at Crossroads on staff and so on, you came up with a concept that we're a 90 10 church. Meaning uh, only 10% of who we are as a church happens on weekends.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. 90% has to happen during the week. It's kind of like, don't consider this to be stage and audience, this church. This is more like a locker room (laughs) with a coach and players. And you guys got to get the job done is that still your oh, attitude we're still preaching that and i'm smiling right now because <laughs> but, that's music to my ears but what does it take to really get the players on the field and sharing the gospel with the people that they live with work with go to school with
1: because i don't think it's happening do you i see it happening more and more good in our church i'm glad to hear that and i'm kind of immersed in our church so i don't no, to the extent that it's being done or not being done outside of crossroads okay but this is the these are the things that we've been preaching for 15 years yeah and it's rooted in the whole idea when god called his people out he called them a kingdom of priests Ooh. you know and that means you don't have just this this clergy everyone's a pastor a missionary everyone is an ambassador for jesus christ and this is where the church in America, I think, has so blown it is we've turned it into a Sunday morning stage audience experience, and everybody comes, and uh, kind of like you go to a movie, and, you know, the pastors feel the need to put on a show, and the people consume. Mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, there's not going to be life change in that. There's life change when people understand who they are, why they're here, that they're a priest and that they are called to participate in the kingdom and bring in the kingdom of heaven. And that is not a Sunday morning thing. That is a 24-7, 365 thing. And I think our people are starting to get it more and more. I'm uh, glad to hear that, Rod. That is, mm-hmm. That's exciting. So do you, do you think, is
0: a revival awakening in the future? Do you,
1: what, do, what's your, how, what would you see the trend at this point? We're praying for revival. Um. In my opinion, revival comes when there's persecution. Okay. Yeah. And so, to answer your question, yeah. Yes. Okay. I think I think persecution is only going to be increased more and more, yes. which is why I started off by saying we need to change our mindset. Yeah. Yeah. You, you may well be right. Yeah. And what persecution is going to do is mm-hmm. it's going to um, expose the selfishness, yeah. the narcissism that exists within the church, and it's gonna make us desperate.
0: Yep, that's good, yeah. God, give us the strength, the courage,
1: the wisdom to do it. Close us in prayer, would you, Rod, please? God, I thank you for my brother, Randy. I thank you for even the partnership, the brother that he is. And God, just talking about these things, right now we pray for your church. Yes your church in Grand Rapids, your church in the state of Michigan, your church in the United States of America. God, we pray for your church all over the globe. Amen. Particularly right now, just thinking of even Christians who have a target on them in Afghanistan right now. God, we pray special blessing for them and other mm-hmm. places where mm-hmm. the church is persecuted. Yes. Um, but, God, we pray that you would raise up your church and that your church would love you with everything that we have, God, and that we would love what you love, Mm -hmm. that we love our neighbor, that we would love the world, God, and that we would um, be lit with this fire, God, that would shine brightly Mm -hmm. for your sake, putting you on display, and that your shalom could come to the chaos of our world, the kingdom of heaven, we pray. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Love you, Rod. Love you, Annie.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing your heart.
1: A joy. Amen. Amen.